rolling in my 5.0. Got my ragtop down so my hair can blow. I assume it's been a while since that was true. <laughs> it's true. It has been quite a while. Podcasting, like bounty hunting, is a complicated profession. They said we were coming. They said we were the best in the parsec. They must be suffering from delusions of grandeur. The Journey Into Podcast is proud to present this journey into a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. A journey into Star Wars. Hello, everybody. We are gathered together here today for another episode of the Star Wars Delusions of Grandeur uh, here on the Journey Into podcast. And I'm here with Rich Outfield. Amen. We are, <laughs> and I am uh, Marshall be... Latham. Yes, yes, you're Marshall Latham. Don't, don't forget that. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Okay. We're a little bit behind. Somehow, we... We were going to do these every two episodes of Mandalorian, and, and I don't know what happened. Oh, what happened was that our state went on a, a stay-at-home order for two weeks, and <laughs> I wasn't able to get together with my cousin. That's what it was. And then the, the stay-at-home order was lifted the week of ah. Thanksgiving. And so we watched two episodes together instead of one, and now another one has aired, but I haven't seen it yet, so... We can talk about two Mandalorian episodes today, and then we'll talk about something else. And then as soon as I can get this edited, <laughs> we should do it again. Yeah, we. I, I kind of like that we're sticking to the two episode, because when it slipped, I thought, well, I guess we could do three, but then that would mean we'd have to wait and do another three, because it ends on the eighth episode of season two. So this will be good. And besides, you know, people can enjoy the good old days when... Things weren't spoiled on the internet. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about that afterward. People, and maybe we did talk about it in the last episode. Yeah. People felt obliged to not spoil The Rise of Skywalker, which was admirable. But they don't feel the same way about Mandalorian. And I think it's because it's a television show. And the idea is if you wanted to watch it, you would have watched it. You know, you don't have to go out to a theater and arrange your schedule and get a babysitter <laughs> and all that. You could just watch it. And so people have been really, really free with, like, even with the screen caps and showing things that I wasn't ready to see. I just wanted to see it in the episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So, yeah, I guess we should probably get started on that. So we're going to go back to, what, chapter uh, 11, I believe. That's the heiress. The heiress, ah, and yeah, okay. you, you. Afterward, you may have to explain the, the meaning of that that title. I, I sort of get it, but I, I also don't. Uh, previously, or last time we left our fearless hero, they had just barely escaped from the ice planet where they had fought giant spiders, and the uh, the Razor Crest isn't doing very well. 
they're kind of uh, limping along in space. And is this the point where that their uh, cargo door is is just wide open and they're they're secluded into the? Uh, That's right. Cabin of the ship. They're stuck in there for. Okay. And they don't say how long it is, but I imagine it's an unpleasant little ride. And uh, but they do go into hyperspace though at the end of the last episode, and they leave like a piece of the ship behind when they go into hyperspace, and so. It can't have been oh, that's right. you know, days <laughs> yeah. that they were stuck in, in there, but but you never know. They they come out of hyperspace and I I believe the planet is called Trask. That sounds right, yeah. And it looks like a like an ocean world, uh, which is neat. Uh, and even neater is the planet seems to be populated by Quarren, which are the squid heads. And Mon Calamari, which are the Admiral Akbar's. Right. And then a few humans. But first things first, the ship is trying to uh, to land on a... Uh, what would you call those? They, it's A platform? Yeah. They, they, there's, I don't think we ever see any land. It's all built. It's all stuff floating. Yeah, it's like this giant barge, I think. So I, I'm assuming that there are cities that are built that way. On the water, and the Razor Crest is trying to land, but it's just in such bad shape that, like, its thrusters aren't doing what it's supposed to do, and it ends up going into the water, and technicians have to fish it out of the water, then go to work on repairing this thing. <laughs> With them still in it, right? Yeah, they're still in that cockpit, and yeah, it looks like it's going to be a tremendous amount of work. And and I, that's something that I just love about these first three or four episodes is just how hammered that, that ship gets. It's a really pretty design for a ship with a lot of chrome and reflective material. Not quite what Padme had in Phantom Menace, but really nice. And we see that just get scuffed and broken and burnt and splattered and wet and cracked and dented throughout these episodes and it helps make Mando feel more vulnerable. It, it helps us be worried about him and worried about the child. So the, they, they go to work, these Mon Calamari repairmen go to work on fixing the ship and the frog lady is reunited with her husband who is a frog man and I think he's blue-skinned and she was orange-skinned. Does that sound right? Yep, yep. And they communicate entirely in their language, which is really neat. But they're super affectionate and they're happy to have these eggs. And I, I, that's another thing that's just really great about this show is it picks up where the last one left off and ties up the loose ends from the last episode, which I didn't expect. Yeah, very serialized. So he uh, he asks the, the guy in charge of this town, who is a Mon Calamari, uh, if he has seen anybody like him. And they end up going to like a cafe or a bar or a tavern or something where a Quarren, the, the squid head species, comes up to the table and says, yes, I can show you where there are people like you, but it's going to cost you. And we, I have a boat. And we'll go out and I'll show you. And so Mando and the child go on this boat 
and they're out in the middle of where Mando goes, the child goes. Right. That's something that he said from the beginning. And uh, he sort of learns his lesson in this case because they have some kind of monster in the belly of the ship that's like a pet or a... I, I mean, I don't know why they have it, but they have it. Yeah. And the Quarren captain sort of boasts to Mandalorian that, that, you know, do you want to watch us feed this thing? They've brought some fish up out of the water and it's in a net and they're dumping it into the hold of the ship where this mouth comes out and eats the fish. And then his men knock the child in his, his floating bassinet into the water and this creature swallows the crib, the carrier. What do we call that thing? The pram, maybe? Yeah, the pram, that's it. <laughs> and Mando jumps into the water to rescue the child and they close a gate over the hold, trapping him in there. And it was all a ploy to get the Beskar, which is super valuable. Right. And he's stuck in there and they're like jabbing him with with staffs. They're having a great old time. But then three mysterious strangers arrive on jetpacks and they are Mandalorians in blue. And this was the first time I had seen these Mandalorians, but it wasn't the first time you had, I'm assuming. No, no. Um, and they, they make short work of all of these Quarren, these pirates, and they get Mando out and one of them dives into the water I'm assuming incinerates this this monster and is able to get the pram out of its mouth or its belly. And the child is all right. They have to destroy the pram. They have to rip open the pram to uh, to get the child out, but he's okay. And then they kind of introduce themselves and all of the, the blue Mandalorians take off their helmet. And the Mandalorian's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's not right. Yeah, he reacts as though they have taken off their pants. Yeah, yeah. he's just can't <laughs> believe because he's he's been searching for others like him and he thinks he's found them. But when they take their helmets off, he's very taken aback. And uh, they introduce themselves and the kind of the leader of the group introduce herself as Bo-Katan or Katan. I think it's Katan. And uh, she introduces her other people, but I always forget <laughs> who they are. And th they're also from Clone Wars? Yeah, they, they, uh, they're they always with her, I guess, but they're not very distinctive in their characterization. And so, of course, those that have watched the Clone Wars, and she was even in Rebels for a couple episodes, um, know Bo-Katan and, and kind of the history that she is a man. She's a true Mandalorian. She's from Mandalore. Her sister was the Duchess Satine, who was the leader of Mandalore for many years and and uh, changed their civilization from a warlike culture into a peaceful culture. And I guess to go a little bit into it, there was a faction from Mandalore that believed in the old ways and they went off and kind of formed this uh, group called the Death Watch and they felt that they were the true Mandalorians. And so they were always kind of a little bit at war with Satine and, and her peaceful world. So that's kind of the, the origin of where Bo-Katan comes from and probably where she gets the title of the episode of, of the heiress 
The last time we saw her in Rebels, Sabine, who had gotten the Darksaber from Darth Maul, gave Bo-Katan the Darksaber and said, you are the one that can lead and unite the clans of Mandalore and lead them. And she eventually accepted that title and, and took the Darksaber, and that's the last time we, we've seen her on any of the other shows. Until now, she shows up on uh, Mandalorian. But I like the way they did this because you don't have to know all that to kind of get the gist of um, who these characters are. You, you don't understand all the history, but you're kind of in the seat of the Mandalorian where, hey, these guys are different. They're taking off their helmets and and he confronts him about it and says only true Mandal- a true Mandalorian wouldn't do that. And uh, Bo-Katan says, I was born on Mandalore. I served, I can't remember everything she says there, but you know, pretty much I fought in wars for Mandalore and done all these things. He doesn't really accept them and takes off with the child and goes back to the, the main city there. I don't know if he even thanked him. Not, he thanked but... them when, before they had taken their helmets off. That was the first thing that he did. Okay. <laughs> See, she says that he's a religious zealot, that their group is an offshoot of Mandalorian culture, like the Amish, that holds to old-fashioned... Right, almost like a cult. You know, fundamentalists' beliefs or whatever, which I think is really interesting, and he does, he's never heard this before. And I think, I mean, I don't know that it's ever been established, but but... He's never been to his world. He was a foundling from another species raised by Mandalorians. And he believes that nothing is alive on Mandalore, that the Empire poisoned it so nobody could ever go there and use any of its resources. And she says, no, we're going to go to Mandalore and reclaim what's ours. I guess she says that later. But uh, I thought that that was really interesting that this... Yeah, this group that we've seen with their that is the way and and have you ever taken your helmet off in front of anyone is not normal Mandalorian culture. It is a subset. Yeah, she calls him a child of the watch, which I guess goes back to the death watch. But yeah, that's pretty interesting. How did you view Bo-Katan and, and this interaction as as somebody that hasn't had all that history and seen all that stuff? Well, like you said, she does explain who she is and, you know, what her history is. But I didn't understand the heiress part. It sounds like she's royalty of Mandalore, but I, you know, I don't know. And she does mention the Darksaber, which we know from the last episode of season one. But yeah, if it weren't for you telling me what the Darksaber was and what the history was and who who Bo-Katan was in the last episodes of... Clone Wars, I would have just known her as Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica. And, <laughs> right. But she voiced Bo-Katan on the animated shows, right? She did, yeah. So yeah. that's really cool that they hired the voice actor to be the, 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 the face actress as well. That doesn't usually happen. And so that, that was cool. Plus she had this kind of neat orange red hair yes which i'm assuming is what she looked like on the cartoon she did yeah but that's got to be jarring to you guys who have seen her drawn a certain way and 
I, I, I'm assuming on the animated series, they didn't draw her to look like Katie Sackoff. Exactly. No, they, they were free to design her as they, as they wanted to. And I thought she pulled it off pretty well. I thought they did a good job with that. My son thought they did it too well. He, he went over to a friend's house to watch it because their family got a big TV. So they watched all three of the episodes of Mandalorian up to that point. And we had watched it at home with the rest of the family. And he comes home and he was just all upset and angry. And he's like, oh, I can't believe. Because he thought she should have been really old. And I've... Well, well, well let's, let's talk about that. How old should she be? <laughs> I read an, an article on it and they tried to do the math. And she should probably be close to 50. Okay, so Clone Wars happened... 20, what, 22 years before Star Wars. Right. And this is five years after Return of the Jedi? Yeah. So about 32 years before this episode was the Clone Wars. Yeah, that sounds right. And so if she was 20 on Clone Wars, she would be 52. Yeah. Does that sound right? That sounds right, yeah. But how old would you say Katie Sackhoff is? I find it hard to guess. Uh, well, I looked at looked it up, and she's forty uh, herself. Okay, but you know, there's sixty year olds that look forty. You know, so <laughs> the child is fifty. <laughs> yeah, the child's already fifty. <laughs> okay, let me uh, quickly uh, sum up some more. So, so while he's there at the city, he's surrounded by a bunch of other Quarren. And one of them says, you killed my brother, and so I'm going to take your pet, and I'm going <laughs> to yeah. eat it, or something like that. He doesn't speak with that accent, sorry. <laughs> but the the trio, Bo-Katan's trio, shows up and says, he didn't kill your brother, I killed your brother. And then she basically kills all these guys. And uh, he asks her about the Jedi. He says, I've been tasked with returning this child to his people, I need to find a people called the Jedi. And she says, oh, I know where you can find a Jedi. And that's got to mean a lot to people that watch yeah. Clone Wars. Because it can only be one person that she's talking about. Although, I don't know. I don't know how many Jedi... When Clone Wars, the series, ends, how many Jedi are still out there. Because it ends with Order 66, and I'm assuming the majority of the Jedi are wiped out, but they can't all have been wiped out because on the first episode of Rebels, Kanan Jarrus is a survivor of Order 66. Right, in hiding. She says, yes, I know where that you can find a Jedi, and I'll tell you if you'll help us with this mission that we're trying to do. There is a, an Imperial ship that's parked, that's docked, and it's full of weapons, and we want to go and get these weapons or steal these weapons or prevent the Empire from using them. And if you'll help us do this, then I'll tell you. Does that, does that sound about right, what she says? Yeah, that seems to be a pattern. Every Everybody wants something from the Mandalorian. It's like, I'll do this if you help me out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't understand how... Uh, does she see him in action and say, oh, okay, this this guy is really tough. This is exactly what we need. She does say that they've been attacking this ship time and time again. But I, I'm assuming that it's all been just like little uh, hits and then they run away. And they think that with this fourth member of their group, they'll actually be able to get these these weapons. 
Yeah, and take the take the ship. the The ship is going to leave the next day, and so he says that he will help them. And he takes the child to the frog family, <laughs> to their apartment, and says, "Will you watch the child?" And you know, even though they don't speak basic, they make it clear that yes, they will. And the the little eggs are starting to hatch. And uh, dude, I was really afraid that the child was going to eat one of these babies. I it's it's funny how that's all played for laughs, but I don't find it funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of it is one of the eggs hatches and it's a baby, right? Uh, like a tadpole, but it has the same face as their mother does, which really humanizes it for lack of a a more accurate word. And yeah, I was just, I was so afraid that he was going to eat this, but he didn't. He seemed to um, enjoy it. He seemed to have gotten it, you know, to see it as, as a pet or as a, as, as a living thing. And we talked about that. Oh no, we didn't. Big Anklevich and I talked about that, about how smart is the child? Because in the next episode, the child seems capable of following instructions and doing something that an infant could not do. So I think there is intelligence there. I don't know if he's if you'd say he's like a two year old or or what at this point. Yeah, he kind of. I mean, sometimes he's he's very coherent, and sometimes, you know, he, he's very dependent upon uh, the Mandalorian for things. But yeah, I think he's uh, realizing more and more his abilities and what he can do and figuring things out. He's interesting to watch. Obviously, I'm always interested in you know, how they're doing the puppetry and how just on the, on that level. But as a character, sometimes it's a bit uneven where he's played for laughs and then look how cute he is. But I think we're seeing over this season kind of a change in uh, the child too, that he is more cognizant of what's going on and, and uh, what he can do. Yeah. I, I think that's something we could talk about extensively if you wanted to. Is he a puppet or is he several puppets? Like when he has to eat, is that a different puppet than when he has to walk or when he has to be held and you can't have a puppeteer? Is that a different puppet than when, you know, he's in the pram? Is there a different puppet for close-ups that have way more expressive eyes and nose and mouth? Or is it all the same one? And I, unless... We had an animatronics expert or somebody from <laughs> ILM. I don't think we'll ever know the answer to those questions. Yeah, I, I would guess that there's at least more than one for different things. I think they had like three or four different BB-8s, so they probably have a few different Baby Yodas. Okay, so the next day comes and they attack this ship. And is this the one where they say that there will be no more than four stormtroopers? <laughs> no, there's. I think there's more than four on the ship. No, no, no. I, he says, what kind of opposition can we expect? Oh, yes. And Bo-Katan says, yes. no four, more than four stormtroopers. And <laughs> wow, dude, they probably kill 50 stormtroopers in, in this ship. Yeah. They go and they, they manage to get inside the ship. And it, it's not a big ship. It's just one long rectangle like a, well, it's a freighter. Like a cargo ship, yeah. And Titus Welliver is the captain of the ship. And I don't know if you've seen him in other stuff. He was in some Marvel stuff. I have, yeah. Uh, he was on a show called Bosch that I've never seen. Probably because the title is just gross. 
He was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a bit. Yes, he was. Yeah, that's what I was when I said Marvel stuff. He was on one of those um, the little bonus short films. Yeah, he's the captain. And they've dealt with these pirates before, but they're clearly no match at all for these four Mandalorians. And I think seeing Jin Jaren fight alongside these other three, his skills are way more extensive than theirs are. And is it because his armor is way better or he's just better armed? He has a lot more stuff than they do. Is he just a specialized mercenary and he requires all these extra things that they don't have? Yeah, I think so. You know, he's, you know, they're kind of blasters and fists, you know, that's, that's, but I mean, he's, he's, he's got all these gadgets, but he's also got, um, he, he's just more resourceful because he's had to be over the years. He doesn't have everything that, well, I, do they ever I, use their, uh, rocket? I didn't see them use it. No. They do fly and they've got like little blades in their wrists, which I thought was neat. They, we actually see a couple of stormtroopers get stabbed with them. They don't have the, the little projectile things that he does. He's got a bunch of explosives, fun little thermal detonators that go. <laughs> He's got a flamethrower, although I don't think he used it in this episode. Yeah. They, they make short work of these stormtroopers and the, Imperial officer that's back there where the weapons is has them close all the doors. And this is while the ship is taking off. It's it's in the air. It's trying to leave. And he made the mistake of, of locking the four Mandalorians in the control center for the, the cargo hold. And they just open the door and jettison all of these guys out into the air. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, uh, Titus Welliver has gotten on the horn to his boss, who is Moff Gideon. Right. And he makes it clear that these guys are, you know, they're in the ship and they're going to, th- to take the ship. And Moff Gideon basically says, well, then you know what to do. And Welver kills his own crew. He gets in the pilot's chair and he just turns the ship back toward the surface and he's just going to kamikaze the ship. And it's better to sacrifice the ship than let these pirates get away with what's in the ship or the ship itself. And they quickly get back to the cockpit. <laughs> they manage to pull him away right at the last minute, pull up on the stick before the, the ship can crash. And and they, they take it back into the air. And I think it's Bo-Katan is trying to interrogate uh, Titus Welliver. I don't know if he has a name, but I'm just going to keep calling him Titus Welliver. And she asks him (laughs) about the Darksaber and says, does he have it? And he says, if you're asking me this, then you already know. She says, where is he? And Welliver has like a cyanide capsule in one of his teeth. He bites it and we see this like electric discharge yeah. <laughs> in his face and he dies. And it was really neat. He dies without letting them know what, what they want to know, which is where is Moff Gideon? Right. And we're seeing more of what Moff Gideon's, you know, what does he have at his disposal? You know, we saw a lot of stormtroopers and a lot of hardware and stuff in season one, but now we're seeing, you know, we have this freighter, uh, he's on some kind of a command ship. 
that we don't really see much of it in this episode. You know, we're just kind of seeing a little bit more behind the scenes and seeing what they're up against. Again, Mandalorian doesn't know who these other Mandalorians are, but he's helping them on this mission. But we're still learning more about, you know, what's going on with Moff Gideon and the Empire or the remnants of the Empire uh, along with that. And so they're telling the story from the Mandalorian's point of view, but they're still telling all this backstory as well. And I, I just like the way they're mixing that all up. Bo-Katan is like, you're going to take me to him. He, he knows she's right. And so that's why he kills himself. And I guess that's what Moff Gideon was referring to as well, other than just ditching the ship. Um, so they have all these weapons now. They have more of an arsenal to go up against Moff Gideon. But Mandalorian says, okay, I've done what you said. I'm, I'm out. Can you please tell me where I can find the Jedi? And then Bogotan says, yes, you can go to the planet Corvus, I believe is the planet. Look for Ahsoka Tano and tell her that Bogotan sent you and she'll help you. And so, you know, of course we knew that we kind of knew this was coming, but now it's confirmed that Okay, the name has been dropped. Ahsoka Tano will be forthcoming. And so we have that to look forward to. But that's this is the end of this episode, and he leaves. Well, the Mon Calamari have done the best that they can. <laughs> but it's like they, they have fixed up the Razor Crest, and I'm not exaggerating, with like netting and rope. <laughs> yep. They've like you know, tied up all all of the loose hatches and patched things, but it looks almost worse than it did before. <laughs> and he takes off with the child. Uh, I think when it like leaves the atmosphere, it's still like dropping pieces off. Yeah. And there are flaps that are just hanging by a thread. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, uh, there was also um, like some kind of little octopus parasite that was in the the cockpit oh, yeah. that wants to eat the child and he grabs it right before it can like face hug on the child. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was that episode. This one was only 33 minutes long and that's with the credits and with the previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer at the beginning, <laughs> which I thought was I mean that has to be the shortest one we've gotten, right? Yeah, that's pretty short. I don't know if even season 1 had any that were that short. This one was directed by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard again, who did the ATST episode that introduced Cara Dune in the first season. And it would be neat to see her just show up in an episode. It would. Because yeah. I, I just, I like her. She. We talked about that. We talked about that last year. She is Star Wars... Uh, royalty? Royalty, I guess, yes. She's a child of Star Wars. <laughs> because her dad has worked on Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that episode, The Heiress. But tell me what that means. Is it the heiress to the Darksaber? Is it the heiress to the planet Mandalore? I think so. I think it's it's the heiress to Mandalore taking over where her sister, the Duchess Satine, left off. That she she will be the future leader of Mandalore. Which is kind of where they left her on Rebels, so I'm not sure what happened in between. But at that point, it was just uh, a bunch of different ragtag clans of Mandalore. 
um, that she was leading. So I don't know what happened with the Empire in between what we saw in Rebels and now. But obviously, Moff Gideon had a lot to do with it. In the animated shows, do we see what happens to Mandalore? Like this talk of the Empire laying waste to the planet? We don't. So in Clone Wars, they uh, have taken over. So the Death Watch at one point was working with the Empire. In the the last season of Clone Wars, in the last four episodes, you know, we talked about the Siege of Mandalore. And this is where Ahsoka Tano and Bo-Katan and a bunch of Mandalorians came and they retook the planet of Mandalore and got rid of the Imperials and got rid of Death Watch or whatever. Of course, that was all during the time of Order 66, like you had said. When we catch up with Mandalore on Rebels, it seems like the Empire has taken over parts of it. And at one point, I think Sabine worked for the Empire and uh, was designing weapons and stuff for them. And that's kind of what they're running up against in uh, Rebels uh, when uh, Bo-Katan comes back. It seems like it's just uh, a bunch of freedom fighters, you know, kind of like the Alliance itself, different Mandalorian clans still trying to fight against the Empire. But not, not like the whole planet destroyed or poisoned or anything like that. I'm not sure where those rumors have come from. But, oh, do you think that that's not the case? I don't think so. I, I guess I'm going to have to look into that. But Well, I, I guess we'll find out. I mean, just the Empire was so destructive to so many different worlds, it seems totally believable that they poisoned the atmosphere of Mandalore or, you know, dispatched some awful weapon like the Death Star to teach them a lesson uh, to quell their, their rebellion. But I, I assume that one day we will find out. Is that where Bo-Katan and her friends were going at the end of that episode? Yeah, I think they were taking the weapons back to Mandalore. Okay, and they invite him to come along and he, he declines. But it did feel like either a setup for them getting together again later on or a setup for their own show, which I think is quite likely at this point. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where the Mandalorian goes. Like, Jin Jaren goes... Because eventually he's going to have to learn about Mandalore and who the Mandalorians were and where the where Death Watch came from. That's going to be really interesting to see how he adjusts to that knowledge. And, you know, because he's grown up his whole life with, you know, this is the way and all the things that go along with that. So I think I think that'll be kind of neat to see over time how the Mandalorian deals with that history and all that. So... I guess we will see in future seasons. Yeah. The next episode, uh, The Siege, takes place immediately after that last one. Uh, <laughs> it starts out and Mando takes the Razor Crest back to the planet Novaro, which is where the majority of season one took place. Right. Uh, and he takes it there for repairs because it's just, oh man, it is thrashed. <laughs> he lands and... Oh, no, no, that's not how it starts, is it? It starts with a bunch of... Are they Aqualish? What what was uh, Pondababa the... He doesn't like you. Oh, right. What was his species called? I, I feel like it's Aqualish. Walrus men. 
Yes. <laughs> that's all in I want That's all I can think of is walrus. There's men. a bunch of walrus men and they're in the enclave where the Mandalorian, where the Mandalorians were in the first season. They've taken it over and they've like stolen some money and they have this conversation all in their language and their language is basically <laughs> <laughs> just without the coughing. It's very good, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, What's her name? Cara Dune comes in by herself and they say, oh, no, the marshal. Yeah. Which you've got to love. <laughs> and she kills all these guys. Some of them just like by beating them up. But I think she ends up stabbing or shooting all of them. It's just, you know, I guess a neat way to reintroduce this character. Her arms are as big as they were last year. And <laughs> and, and just kind of see her in her new uh, role on the planet as the marshal or the sheriff or whatever. They call her. Yeah, she... That's Aqualish. You're, you're correct. <laughs> yeah, well, I usually am. So she and Grief Karga are waiting when the, the Razor Crest lands. And I think he explains that Karga is now the, 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 the magistrate of the town. Yep. And she is the marshal. It's kind of like the mayor. Yeah. And I think that that's neat. Mando asks if they can fix up the ship. And they send some people to work on it. And uh, one of them is this neat red-skinned alien guy. He looks like somebody from the sequel trilogy, a species that I'm not familiar with. But he, he's, he's recognizable later in the episode. And uh, they show Mando around the town, and they've built a school. And it's just got tons of kids in it. And they're all human, and that offends me. <laughs> but they... That's where... Uh... The uh, client used to be, right? Vern Herzog. Okay, that yeah, I knew we had seen that place before. Yeah. There's a protocol droid teaching the class, and oh, it just was so neat to see this. I know you like droids. Yeah. They need to make action figures of all these protocol droids, because so far I think all we've gotten is C-3PO and the black one. Triple Zero? Afras, yeah, Triple Zero. But it's always the same figure. They could just paint one red and paint one white. And this one was sort of a, a bronze yeah, color. Yeah. They put the child in a desk for uh, for the school. And I just, I would have loved to watch them. I mean, the child is essentially a an infant, but he seemed to be in this, this class all day long. Stealing cookies as from soon as fellow they're students. Away from, Oh yeah, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So one of the, one of the students has these little blue cookies, look like chocolate covered Oreos or something, but they're blue, and uh, the child keeps looking at them. He that he'd like one, but the the kid's just kind of denying him that you know, just eating them himself. But then of course, uh, the child uses the force to pull the cookies over to him, but the child is, or the other student doesn't see it until all of a sudden the child is sitting there eating his cookies and he can't quite figure out how that happened. Uh, so that was kind of fun to see that. Yes, yeah, somebody, Nabisco or somebody, needs to make these cookies. A Mandalorian-branded <laughs> version of chocolate-covered Oreos. Yeah. And uh, so while they're fixing up the Razor Crest... Grief Karga has some help that he'd like the Mandalorian to assist him with. Right. He's got a mission. And again, it's just like all these people are just waiting for somebody to show up 
to come into town that can solve their problems for them. Every episode, it's like David Banner comes into town with his his backpack. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, thank goodness you came, stranger. We've been having a problem <laughs> with these outlaws. And what the problem is, is that there is still an Imperial contingent somewhere nearby. There's an Imperial base. Grief Karga thinks if they can blow up the base, then there won't be any em Empire remnants left on the planet and they'll be free. Uh, we also are reintroduced to the blue guy who is the... He's the bounty that Mandalorian was after in the first scene of the first episode. The guy that he mentions Life Day and then gets <laughs> put in Carbonite that Horatio Sands plays. And he's like a purely comic character. Yeah, definitely. He he drives them out to the, where this base is at. And uh, he's just going to leave them there. And they say, no, you have to stay. And Grief Karga treats him like a servant or a slave or whatever. And uh, says, no, you're you're staying here. And then he ended up going with them into the place to take it over. And so, yeah, he, he plays the comic relief and does a good job of it, I think. But they go into this base and they see all these uh, vehicles and, and tools that uh, they use. They see the little transport thing that all the, all the stormtroopers showed up in uh, last season when they were taking over Navarro. They go in. It seems to be abandoned. They don't run into too many stormtroopers until they get into the middle of the place and they, they kind of find like a little, like a lab area. And there's two stormtroopers there and they're, they're like, oh, there's intruders. Destroy it. And so they, they start shooting the control panels and just, I guess, destroying any evidence of what they're doing. And when the, the group gets up to that part, they see these big, huge tubes with people in them, but they look disfigured and large, not quite uh, Snoke <laughs> territory, but kind of a similar thing. These things, these bodies floating in tubes. Well, see, yeah, I wanted to ask you what you thought was going on there, because I, I didn't know. I don't think we ever see clearly enough to know what it was. But when I talked to Big, he insisted that these are Snoke clones. Oh, really? And I thought, oh, OK, really? That, uh, Huh. So when I saw it the second time, I paid close attention. I still don't know what they are. Yeah, I didn't. They're humanoid bodies in there. I just used but... Snoke as a... As you know, a reference or a joke, but I wasn't thinking they actually looked like Snoke. But I, I think they say something in there. Basically, they were using the blood of the child to create, to do experiments on people or things or, or whatever. I don't know to what end, but they say something about that. And they show in the, the recap, the doctor character that was with the client you know, he was doing tests and taking blood from the child. And I think that's what they said something about using that blood for these experiments. But it was, they left it pretty vague, probably for a reveal later on in the season. Yeah, they, but... they discover a recording from this doctor. And he's talking to Moff Gideon saying that, you know, the blood has pretty much run out from our patient. <clears throat> and that's when they discover that Gideon is still alive because this recording was made two days ago. And so the doctor was, is alive and Gideon is alive. 
which I guess is frightening for them to know because this was clearly a formidable foe that they, an enemy that they made. And especially since the Mandalorian left the child back at the school, you know, now he's worried about the child. And, and that. Yeah, one thing that you didn't explain was that uh, this base is built up like along the side of a volcano and there's some kind of machine that keeps the volcano from erupting and the, they have the blue guy, they have uh, Horatio Sanz's character turn off that machine. And so essentially it's going to overload or erupt and destroy the base. It looked a lot like a, the tractor beam console that Obi-Wan got on. And it's absolutely by design. There's so much fun stuff like that where they reuse. Like in the last episode, when the ship has gone into the water, they use something that looks like an AT-AT to pull it out of the water. And it's just like an AT-AT missing its head that's become like some kind of equipment on this planet. It's just so fun to see things again and again that are familiar. And make sense. They get overrun by just tons and tons of stormtroopers, and they end up taking that transport. I think Cara Dune is driving it. Yeah, and the Mandalorian takes off on his rocket to go oh, get the to child. to go check on the child. Yeah. I didn't get that, but I needed you to explain. <laughs> but the the three of them, the three that have remained have just like this spectacular prolonged chase scene where first they're fighting stormtroopers, then they go down into the gully where they left the land speeder and they destroy the land speeder and they are pursued by four speeder bikes, biker scouts on speeder bikes. And this is really fun. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as they've destroyed the four speeder bikes, four TIE fighters come after them. Grief Karga gets in the gunnery position and he's, he's, you know, using the big cannon. Yeah. It feels a little bit like the truck chase in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's exactly what my wife said. She goes, hey, this is like Last Crusade. Oh, see, I was thinking of Raiders when he's trying to get the, the Ark back on the horse and that. But you're right. There's the scene with the, the, the tank. Yeah, it's, it's, it felt very Indiana Jones to me, despite having TIE fighters. Yeah. But it's something that I've, I'm sure I've said before, but I, it... I have to say it, this is the best special effects for television I have ever seen on any program in in my life. There are never bad special effects on this show. Like, the TIE Fighters look so real, and when they're supposed to be outside, it feels like they're actually outside. Yeah. When they're supposed to be in motion, it feels like they're actually moving. It never feels like they're just on a green screen stage. Well, and, and going back to the previous episode, even just the Mon Calamari workers on the dock, you know, wearing sweaters and bibs and all this stuff, you know, we're used to seeing Admiral Akbar, you know, go around in his chair. But these are just everyday workaday Mon Calamari just d doing their thing on the sea. And uh, they just pulled that off really well. See, Admiral Akbar was a puppet. And so my guess is that these these heads, these Mon Calamari heads are also being puppeted, puppeteered, I guess. And that's remarkable too. You know, technology, I guess, gets cheaper and easier with each passing year. Yeah. But I just take it for granted these things are alive, that that's what these species look like. And they just hired a couple more guys who are Mon Calamari to play, <laughs> to play technicians and stuff. <laughs> Every time like we're in a TIE fighter and you hear like they're tracking computer sounds or you hear, you see the green 
laser bolts that come out of them yep. or the, you know, the, the roar of the TIE fighter. It just, I become nine years old again. And, uh, that is all by design. I'm sure, I'm sure John Favreau would say, oh, you're supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's accurate too. I mean, they, they don't miss a beat on that kind of stuff. But, uh, going back to the, the action, you know, just when it looks the bleakest for Cara Dune and Grief Karga. And the blue guy. The Mandalorian shows up in the Razor Crest and takes on the rest of the TIE Fighters. And again, talk about special effects. There's a lot of really cool aerial battle scenes there going through the clouds and up and diving back down, all that kind of stuff with the Razor Crest. And of course, the, the Mandalorian takes out all the TIE Fighters and uh, he has the child. The child is cheering him on in the co-pilot seat or whatever from his little chair and uh mandalorian saves the day in the razor crest and b- bids adieu <laughs> to cara dune and grief again and uh, i don't know if they'll be back this season probably not but uh it was it was good to see them again i thought it was neat to see them but it was too brief like he he says goodbye as he's just like dry flying over they they fixed the ship and now he's he's moving on but I, I wanted him to hang out with them. I wanted them to talk more. And yeah, at one point, Grief Karga says to Kara, well, you know, we're only contractually obligated to be in this one episode. And I got to direct it. So, you know, that's pretty good. But there he goes off to some other town. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of neat that he directed this episode. Yeah, but, oh, but the episode isn't over. Of course not. <laughs> so, so the Razor Crest leaves Navarro. And then we're on a... Imperial Star Destroyer of a design we've never seen before. It's like a sleeker, weirder, little smaller Star Destroyer. And we see our very first female Imperial officer. And dude, oh my gosh, I was so excited, sexually excited to see a female (laughs) Imperial officer. Because when I was a little boy, there were female officers in the comics. But we'd never seen one until like the the sequels, and those are first order officers. Right. So I was just really happy to see this. She gets a message from Navarro, and it's this red skinned alien technician sending a message that they've planted a tracking device on the Razor Crest, and he tells her that the the asset is on board the Razor Crest. Right. And so she goes to tell her boss, who is Moff Gideon, and Gideon is in some kind of chamber with something on the wall, and she gives the report, and, you know, he's like, very well, thanks for letting me know this. And then the camera pulls back, and we see that they look like black armored (laughs) men, like black stormtroopers or space troopers or if you're Big Anklevich, Darth Vader's. <laughs> I I thought that they were space troopers, like 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 death troopers, but like stormtroopers. Oh, <laughs> but but he thought that they were Darth Vader's, and this was all tied to the experiments they had been doing with the blood of the child. Right, that's kind of what I was thinking, only bigger. And I was just like, oh well, that's way way worse than them just being space troopers. <laughs> right. Yeah, because what does the blood do? Uh, Is it just make them force users? Does it make them force sensitive? Or how does, I guess we'll see. But 
I'm pretty intrigued by that. Oh, there were, there was one other scene that we didn't talk about. I didn't, um, I didn't see Darth Vader. The Vader's, older <laughs> rebel pilot from the Spider episode talks to Cara Dune, and he tries to recruit her to join the New Republic. He asks her about Alderaan. He says, did you lose people on Alderaan? And she says, I lost everything. Right. When it was destroyed. And I really liked the scene because the guy is older. Almost all of the pilots we've ever seen are young guys. But this is a middle-aged guy with, you know, a white beard, gray beard. Uh, and he said, you know, that he's been part of the Rebel Alliance since, since Alderaan. And it was just neat to have that continuity of the same guy that we saw two episodes ago come to this planet. And he's asking about the Razor Crest. Grief Karga gives him the runaround. Uh, basically, he's a police officer. They're investigating is the impression that we get. Yeah. In fact, I think <laughs> Karga calls him officer. He's like, well, you know, if ever you're out here uh, this far again, maybe we'll have more to tell you. And I, I thought that that was interesting. I don't know where it's going, except for them just telling us that the Rebel Alliance is still out there. The the characters that we know and love are out there trying to form a new Republic. And I, I felt like it was a missed opportunity when he talked to her about Alderaan to mention who else is from Alderaan that he knows. But I don't know in five years after Return of the Jedi... <laughs> if Leia is leader of the Rebel Alliance or if Mon Mothma is or what's going or the sorry the New Republic it's not the Rebel Alliance anymore but clearly she's in a leadership position out there somewhere oh she she's been betrothed to some prince on some planet out in the middle of on the that, outer rim that was a Dave Wolverton book huh <laughs> going back to the old novel days the courtship of Princess Leia yeah um so what did you think of this episode i mean this seemed like the most action-packed episode that we had gotten and the body count is really 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 high yeah uh, and then it ends with that female officer so i was super excited i i enjoyed the episode and then that <laughs> reveal of whatever moff gideon is doing if you took somebody's blood that had and i hate to invoke this but it seems like that's what they're doing that had a super high midi-chlorian count and you yeah. injected it into a regular person, does that person get abilities? Yeah. Is this more of like the, uh, you know, the emperor's uh, fifth sister and third brother? And, you know, is it going back to that, the children of the force kind of thing? But I think they were naturally force sensitive rather than being injected with midi-chlorian rich blood. So yeah, that'll that'll be interesting to see what ends up happening there. Well, could it be what what if Moff Gideon sticks this stuff inside himself? Mm. Does he become an almost Jedi kind of thing? And he's got a dark saber, which I'm assuming is the weapon of a dark Jedi. Maybe 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 not. But I no. Well, it it was originally created by. Uh, Tar Vizla, I think was his name. I missed that on the uh, quiz that Gino gave us. And he was the first and only, I think, Mandalorian Jedi ever. And that's why it's so important to the Mandalor to the yeah, to the Mandalorians that this Black Saber belongs to them. But yeah, you know, Moff Gideon already has half of uh, Darth Vader's 
uniform on with the little panel in front. I always wondered if he was trying to be like Darth Vader. So that pretty much sums up that episode. <laughs> we are left with the stinger at the end. Now we're going on to Corvus in search of Ahsoka Tano. And now we leave you. <laughs> I feel like we're on the uh, As the World Turns. We did a little better on time for that. Well, yeah, as fast as we can get it done, that's that's good. <laughs> so yeah, I guess any last impressions before we let our listeners go for the well, it's, evening? If you were super excited by the previous episode's mention of Ahsoka Tano, this episode I could see being a distraction to you. And you're just like, oh, shoot, shoot, he has to stop off and help these guys before we can get to what we really want to see. For me, it was just nice to see these other characters that I like and that I know and have a fun adventure. And, you know, I knew Ahsoka Tano was coming. And so I was okay to wait another week. Right. I like how the episodes have different feels. We've talked about that. You know, there were a couple episodes that were very clearly Westerns. Yeah. There are a couple episodes that feel more like traditional Star Wars, you know, space battles and fantasies. There's a heist episode. There is a horror type episode. And this one felt more like an adventure, a Mission Impossible kind of, you know, siege, like the title uh, that was just all about action and getting in and getting out and blowing up the base. It's just fun that they can do the different things. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we will get a purely comedic episode of The Mandalorian. <laughs> and so, you know, bring it on. Yeah, and you know, I I don't read too many articles about, you know, there's so many after the episodes come out. And we'll, this probably gets into the spoilers that we were talking about earlier, but there's so many articles, you know, like everybody wants to say something about it. And, and then they come up with, like five articles in this in the week of little tiny tidbits that we learned. Oh, what about this? What about that? And uh, I get kind of tired of that because it's like, can't we just enjoy the episodes? You know, we can talk about the things that we enjoy, but do we have to speculate about this or give the history of that? And uh, some of it's fun, but some of it gets kind of tiresome to me. And then, like you were saying earlier, people watch it like at midnight or first thing in the morning and then they're talking about the episode all day when, you know, I at least wait till the evening before I watch it with my family. And you wait till t a few days later. So it's really hard not to uh, to get spoiled on everything. But with bo -Katan, you know, they have to go into, well, what does this mean for this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just like trusting, based on everything we've seen up till now, John Favreau and Dave Filoni are taking us on a great journey and let's just go for the ride let's just enjoy each episode as it comes out and not try to speculate on this or um oh there's this one thing that ruins the canon or breaks the canon from this episode of something you know <laughs> i'm not as into that as i am just enjoying what's going on with the episode i guess if there was something really weird like describing something that happened in one of the movies totally different than the way it actually happened you know then i'd be like eh, what's going on here but just little tidbits and things like that people just try to put whatever 
headline for their article that'll draw the most clicks. And it's typically pretty boring once you go to the article and read it. So I don't know if you read many articles in between episodes or not. I don't. I, I can see why it would be useful for us in our conversation. I found it kind of distracting. Where you can say, oh, well, this is actually from this. Uh, like you when you were telling me about Timothy Oliphant's character in the first episode, I didn't know any of that. And I did end up reading a little bit about what he does in the books and stuff. And it just made me appreciate that episode more. Yeah, I, I, I wonder, we talked about this a year ago, if Disney Plus had any intentions of maybe spinning off Cara Dune in her own show. And seeing her on her own in the teaser of this episode felt like maybe a tryout for that of, hey, uh, let's give her her own action sequence by herself and see if people respond to that. Yeah. And if so, maybe we'll write a pilot. Uh ask I've already forgotten her name, the actress's name, uh if she'd be interested in doing that show. And yeah, I I I don't know. The fact that I wanted to see more of those two characters uh leads me to believe that that could work. Well, and they they kind of set that up like a um you know, you have your your sheriff character, you have kind of the mayor of the town, you have your Festus character, you know, the, the comic relief deputy kind of guy or whatever. And uh, you could really do a, a Western type thing just there on Navarro. You probably have to come up with some, you know, enemies or a continuous threat to make it work. But yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun to have a, a show like that. I guess depends on what else they're planning with uh, other characters for spinoffs and things like that. Um, I, the, I guess one thing that I thought was pretty funny that was an extra thing that people picked out on this last step on the siege episode was that, uh, on one of the shots, there was a, a guy wearing jeans and a green shirt that you could see barely over on the corner when they were on the Imperial base. And so a lot of people were saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to cosplay as the, <laughs> the guy that was left in the shot or whatever. That was pretty fun to people talking about that and making fun of that. But I guess they've gone back and edited that out now. You can't go see that if you get on Disney Plus to watch that episode to Is try to find true? it. Is that true? I see because I couldn't, I didn't see it in the episode. And then when I watched it again yesterday, I, I specifically watched the left side of the screen the whole time trying to find it. But yeah, I had mentioned to my cousin about it uh, that... There were, there were even people that made custom action figures of guy in jeans. And <laughs> I said, you know, would it behoove Disney or Lucasfilm to go in and just like mad out that guy for like future versions of the episode? And it sounds like they beat me to it. They've already done it. Uh, and so I'll never see that guy. <laughs> I didn't see it in the episode. My wife kept saying, oh, we should go back and look. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we will. But then I read something where they've already edited that out, which I can see, you know, since it, it's pretty easy to do. But it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, like the stormtrooper bonking his head on Star Wars or something like that. It's just those things are kind of fun, too, when they show up. So. Yeah, I, I feel bad that I'll never see that. But it's, that's OK. Maybe it, maybe it took people out of the, the show. I <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, I'll do a search as soon as we're done. Oh, I'm sure there's YouTubes of it out there. Um, there is one last thing we need to talk about, uh, unless we're out of time. Let me know. Um, I think we're all right. Well, you're editing, so <laughs> you let me know. Yeah, I just, I, as the closer we get to Christmas, the harder it's going to be for me to make time to do this. But yeah, I'll do what I can. So uh, we got some bad news this week in the Star Wars world. And my cousin is always the one to tell me that, hey, Leonard Nimoy died, you know. Hey, so-and-so died, and I think he texted me in the morning that uh, David Prowse had passed away. Yeah. He played Darth Vader, obviously, in the original trilogy, and uh, really that's all you have to do to be immortal. For the last 20 years, he's made the convention circuit and signed autographs and given speeches, and uh, and I just, I, I like that. It, I... I hoped that he was appreciated or felt appreciated because you never see his face and uh, even when Vader is unmasked in Return of the Jedi it's a different person's face that you see and uh, yet whenever he would sign an autograph he would sign Dave Prowse is Darth Vader uh, that's cool yeah you say obviously but I asked my kids and my wife do you guys know who david prouse is and nobody knew who he was and i said well he's he's the actor that played darth vader in all in the, all the original trilogy he it was his you know he was wearing the armor and doing all the action and everything for darth vader i explained that they used james l jones for the voice and of course my wife knew that and but my kids didn't know that. They said, oh, they used a different voice for that? And I said, yeah, he just did the acting. And and then I explained, like you just did, how when he took his mask off, it still wasn't <laughs> David Prowse. But, you know, everything that... His whole presence and everything we know Darth Vader to be in the original trilogy was all David Prowse. That's what we see. And I don't know if I'm just too big of a fan, but there's little little moments... That he's actually acting, you know, like I always point to the scene when they are on Hoth and they miss getting the Millennium Falcon and it takes off and Darth Vader just kind of looks off to the side like, you know, he's angry or disappointed that that happens. But then he just moves on and uh, goes back to the Star Destroyer or whatever. And just those little moments of Darth Vader, um, that's all David Prowse. And so I also hope that... Uh, He's appreciated for the work that he's done. I, like you said, I think he is by, you know, the big fans, the ones that go to the conventions and, and you know, know all of the credits, information, and actors and stuff like that. But I was kind of surprised that they'd never heard the name before. Maybe maybe it's a generational thing. But Well, that does surprise me. Being your kids, they had to have been exposed to Star Wars over and over and over again. Yeah, but I mean, there are so many people that just maybe don't... it's my failing. <laughs> oh yes, your faults as a son are my failures as a father. <laughs> I failed to uh, tell them. There, the, there are so many people that won't sit through the credits <laughs> of anything. Anytime I would go with my sisters or my brother to the movies, they didn't want to sit through the credits. I always did, and and when I'd take my nephews, it was just torture for them to have to sit through the credits. I guess that's that's part of it. I did get to meet David Prowse and he, you know, he was a very personable guy. 
I said, you were the monster from hell in Frankenstein and the monster from hell, which was a hammer horror film in the early seventies, uh, where Peter Cushing plays Dr. Frankenstein and, uh, and David Prowse is the creature in this one. And I said, so, so you had worked together before. Were you friends when you were working on Star Wars, what was that like? And and he said, oh, what you have to understand is England is a very small place and you always end up working with the same actors over and over again. So Star Wars was actually the third film I'd done with Peter Cushing. And, and he was lovely. <laughs> and, uh, he told the story of, you know, that, that they had tea together and that Peter Cushing would wear slippers. And uh, I just uh, thought that that was really neat that, you know, they... They ended up th- being in three movies where they got to work together. And uh, in all three, Prowse is unrecognizable <laughs> because he's always a, he's always a creature or, or you know, a, a you know, a, un- under a helmet. <laughs> the man behind the mask. And, uh, being somebody that you never see his face in, in the most famous trilogy of films of all time. Did that mean that he could just go wherever he wanted and he wasn't approached and recognized? And and I think no, because he had a super recognizable, unusual face. So if you ever saw a picture picture of David Prowse, you would know him if you saw him in a mall. Uh, plus, he had a, a side gig in England as he was like the... He did a ton of commercials for kids of like safety... They would be public service announcements of, you know, always look both ways when you cross the street, you know, cross at crosswalks, uh, wear your safety belt, you know, things like that. And so in the UK, at least, he was super famous for that. Yeah, I think I saw something about that. But if you were a Star Wars fan, I, I think you would know yeah. his face if you didn't know anything else. And uh, yeah, he I think he was 80 and he passed. 85, I think, is what they said. Oh, he was 85, and, and it was it was the pandemic that got him. It was COVID-19. Oh, was it? And that is too bad, but 85 is a good run, especially when he was so important to so many people. Yeah, Dave Prowse is Darth Vader. He is. After I was explaining all that to my son, he was like, so in the new versions of Return of the Jedi... There's four different Darth Vaders or Anakin Skywalkers that we see. I said, "You're right, because you got David Prowse, you have oh, James Earl Jones, James Earl Jones, you have uh, Sebastian Shaw, Sebastian Shaw, and then you have Hayden Christensen showing up at the end. Unfortunately, yeah, I don't like the Hayden Christensen thing, but there there was talk that they were going to replace Sebastian Shaw entirely when he took the helmet off, and they were just going to you know, age up Hayden Christensen and put burns on him. And I'm really glad that they didn't do that. There is a warmth to Sebastian Shaw in that moment. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. I, I, I liked the way that he looked like an old guy, even though, you know, he's supposed to be younger than both of us. Uh, but that's the prequel's fault. Yeah. <laughs> he's just an old guy. And then he, you know, he shows up and he's got his full head of hair and all the scars are gone in like his ghost form or, you know, at the very end. Yeah. That stuff is neat. And I know that Prowse was disappointed that he didn't get to be Anakin. And it it's a shame, but he did have the face of a bad guy 
And you didn't want to see that with Vader with the helmet off, and you didn't want to see that with the Force Ghost at the end. Yeah. Tell your sister you were right. Well, I think that's it. That's all uh, we the time we have for today. Um, I've already missed an episode, and we can use this as an outtake if you want. Yes. But holy <laughs> moly, people have been merciless with the spoilers. I'm not going to spoil it since I haven't even seen the episode. But not only was it spoiled who shows up in the next episode, but what they look like. And then a surprise person also shows up that nobody knew about. And what he looks like has been spoiled for me. And it just, (laughs) it's not just like people on Facebook saying, oh, I can't believe, look at this. It's like commercials came up during YouTube that showed it. And I thought, oh, well, and you can't avoid the commercials. If you want to watch a clip, a commercial comes up. Right. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that next week, uh, what I think, and, and the episode after it. And uh, we'll talk about Ahsoka Tano, if that's not too big of a spoiler, uh, and, and what you thought. Yeah, we can do that. I have lots of thoughts. So until next not week. Yet, sorry. We got to end every one of these episodes letting people know how they can support your show and make it more of a priority so that we can get these out faster and, and more often. Oh, uh, there's the telephone number that they can call. Yes, there's uh, the voicemail line, which is 77JN2107. There's the Gmail account or the email account, journeyintopodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in taking a look at the uh, Patreon that I have set up for this, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash journey into. And journey into is on Facebook, journey into on Twitter. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you and see what you think of these episodes and um, what you'd like us to talk about in the non-Mandalorian season of Star Wars. (laughs) part of the year so come join us yeah it would be really appreciated and uh we'll see you in too short a season i have been rich outfield and i've been marshall latham that is the way good night ah lord vader the podcast has ended and we'll attempt to sell it as our own within the hour by my estimation we perhaps you haven't been paying attention admiral The Delusions of Grandeur podcast is produced under a Creative Commons 3.0 No Derivatives license. Uh, My lord, there are so many licenses. This could be public domain. It could be unattributed. No, Admiral. The license allows the user to download it, copy it, and share it with others, as long as the original attribution is included. Very well, but we're still going to charge for it. My men want proof, not leads. You're as greedy as you are, stupid. The files can only be distributed free of charge, as is said at the end of every episode. But nobody really listens to the end, do they? I... You have failed me for the last time, Admiral. Captain Latham, have the podcast readied for its next deployment, 
and prepare the files so that no episodes get out of the Dropbox. You are in command now, Admiral Latham. Th thank you, sir. 